You're listening to the Tech Nest Podcast. You'll hear from PropTech founders, investors, and industry veterans on how they're using tech to change the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. This isn't just another podcast about making money in real estate. This is about how we live. In each episode, you'll hear about the market opportunities and trends driving the industry forward. TechNest is proudly produced by Finn Ledger in partnership with HW Media. And now your host, Nate Smoyer. All right, let's do this. We have got a really fun guest on the show here, Mike Lucarelli. He's the CEO of a company called Rentspree, a company I have actually kept my eye on for some time, and mainly because I really appreciate their go-to-market. Rentspree provides rental tools, not just to mom and pops, but primarily real estate agents. And what they saw was a hole in the in the market. Instead of maybe targeting each individual agent, they were able to form technology partnerships with MLSs and MLS vendors, enabling them to go live in tens of markets around the country and some of the largest markets, you know, think California and all that kind of thing. And some of the, the MLSs they mentioned, you know, I actually have, used to work with. And I think this is really cool. It demonstrates the vision Mike had for helping real estate agents deliver a better rental experience to renters. And I think what's even more fascinating about this is the whole idea of Rentspree came out of Mike's experience as a renter. And so in building their product and platform, they're really thinking about the whole experience start to end. Mike and I also get into a lot of trends that are happening in the industry. Obviously, COVID changing a lot of things, interest rates changing purchasing patterns, and could this mean more of a movement towards a rental industry, but also maybe agents moving more towards the rental industry? You'll have to listen in to hear what Mike thinks about those trends and those thoughts, what this means as tailwinds to the rent street business, and where things overall in the real estate industry are moving with buyers and renters. All right, but just one more thing here before we jump into today's episode, a word from our sponsor. Renting a home shouldn't be complicated or frustrating. That's why Pure Property Management is on a mission to make renting a home a simple and satisfying experience for all. By banding together and building together, Pure's team of experienced industry professionals and seasoned technology innovators provide a high-tech, high-touch, and hyper-local property management service to residents and investors nationwide. To learn more, visit purepm.co. Hey, Mike, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Nate. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. I feel like this is a long time coming. I know we joked about that in the uh, the pre-show discussion that you and I had uh, that, you know, obviously we've been in the same space, if you will, for some time. Uh, I've been keeping tabs on you guys. You're part of a a master sheet that I keep that if anyone in PropTech saw, they might be concerned about my health. Uh, of where everyone is at, what they're doing, how much they've raised, who the contact is. I have your mailing address, um, probably. No guarantees. Um, but anyway, well, we're really excited for this conversation here. Um, and I really, uh, I think I shared with you beforehand, and we're going to get into it in the show. I appreciate the go-to-market that you guys have taken here. So without further ado, let's kick it off correctly. Please introduce yourself, let everyone know who you are and what you do. Yeah, thanks. And uh, I have to say, um, right back at you, your reputation certainly precedes you. And I've 
you know, obviously seeing you throughout the years and seeing your just fascinating career track and just rise into just really such a, a position of prominence within the industry as a thought leader. So um, it's uh, it's like I'm flattered to be on here. So thank you so much for the opportunity. You're too kind. As for as for me, um, as just kind of mentioning here, but born and raised um, on the East Coast. So actually grew up on Long Island and then um, ended up working and living in right in right about Philly area for a while. And ultimately, um, I got kind of sick of the weather out there. And uh, at the time, I just pretty much packed up my bags and literally drove straight from Philly until I hit the water in L.A. And I had a kind of reason behind that, which was the excuse was, oh, I'm going to business school in L.A. So I uh, ended up going to Pepperdine um, here in Malibu. But um, really, it was just a good kind of change of scenery as well, kind of start fresh there. But this was really what led me into Rentsbury and thinking about some of the pain points, because, of course, you know, everyone's moved to a new place and you have to really find somewhere to live. And that's what I encountered, similar to millions of people every year. And for me, I found this great landlord. I found this great apartment. And then at that time is when I really ran into the buzzsaw, which is the lack of technology that really kind of um, pervades the industry that you and many other listeners, I'm sure, are well aware of. So my landlord at the time that I was trying to get qualified with he threw down a stack of papers in front of me and he told me to fill everything out. And so I filled it all out. My handwriting's terrible. So I was like, here, you deal with it. But he actually wouldn't even take these papers back from him, from me. He said, oh, you have to fax it to my office. No. And I, yeah, exactly. And I wasn't even. What year is this? This was about like 2014 to 2015 or so. <laughs> It's not even that long ago. It's so comical to think about. It wasn't that long ago. And I'm not even like young anymore. Like I can't even say, oh, yeah, like I'm, I'm so young. Like I'm I'm like a little bit older, you know, like and I've still never seen a fax machine, never used one. And so I was kind of torn between like, should I go to a library to find a fax machine or maybe do I have to go to a museum? Where do I where do I find this? Wow. So that's kind of like the like starting point for Rensbury and just really looking um, in depth at you know, you mentioned a lot of the long tail mom and pop um, landlords out there where it's just kind of hard to reach them. And it's really yeah. difficult for them to even know what they're missing out on in terms of technology and what's what's actually out there for them. So got it. So to your journey is starting a company that really more or less caters to, if you will, like the owners directly started as a renter, which I think is an interesting uh, path because not that's I don't think that's the most frequent of paths into Prop tech. Usually it's from like an owner, operator, investor angle. And so maybe walk, walk us through here a little bit about some of the, the problems that Rentsbury is currently working to solve for. Yeah, and I think it's kind of just that too, where, yeah, I did have that um, perspective as a renter. But over the course of starting Rentsbury, um, I, 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 again, I'm not going to represent myself as a real estate professional at the time. But when I did start Rentsbury, I did end up getting my real estate license, not to become an agent and like do deals and everything like that, but just to work in an office. Actually, I hung my license at a local Remax here and got to just um, work with agents. And that's where we started uncovering what's, I think, lesser known within the rental space, which is the extent to which agents are actually servicing and representing these long tail mom and pop landlords. And that was another kind of key thing that we 
had identified because a lot of the landlords out there where it, it is a little bit um, really tricky for them to come across technology, they're actually the ones that are likely to um, utilize and leverage the services of a real estate agent. And so those are kind of like the pieces that we started like putting together at the time, which was right now, like maybe I'm talking about 2017 by this point. So that was one of the things that we had uncovered um, as well early on. And, and, you know, I mean, coming from a, uh, you know, and very limited background as a real estate agent, I think I shared with you and anyone who's been a listener of the show for any time has heard me go through how poor of an agent I was, both metaphorically at like terrible at my job, but also how little money I made, which was good evidence that I wasn't very good as a residential real estate agent. But there aren't typically a lot of tools provided to agents to deliver a good rental experience. Like, yeah. You know, the, the the fastest way to a paycheck typically is host an open house, wait for someone to walk in, raising their hand as a buyer who's pre-qualified and doesn't have any representation and says, well, I'd like to make a house or make an offer on this house. And you collect a paycheck. And another quick way to get into a paycheck for agents working your sphere of influence on people yep. who need rentals. But there's not much to like help with that. So what are some of the challenges agents run into when they start helping you know, there's fear of influence or maybe any prospect with a rental. Where do we start? And Where do we start? <laughs> well, you take it. Like, what are some of those challenges that, you know, those agents are going to run into? Yeah, I think like first and foremost, like when I when I started working in the Remax office and just hanging out with agents and seeing what they did, it, it, this really like comes back to what people will tell you is that rentals are very much today seen as the redheaded stepchild hmm. within that like segment of the real estate industry. It's the smallest it's paycheck. All, it's the smallest paycheck. And all you see on TV is just, hey, it's like million dollar listing that and million dollar listing this. And so people kind of like see that. And I think this is not specific to the real estate industry, but oftentimes you, you'll see someone that's at the pinnacle of their career that's way beyond you. And you don't really realize the steps that that person had to go through and the growth that that person mm. had to put forth in the effort to get to that point. They see the end result and they think like um, immediately if you start in real estate, hey, I should be at this point, but there's a process that you have to go through. And so when we yeah. like when I actually started talking to some of these agents that were top producing, what I started uncovering was that oftentimes they actually built up their business to a point of great size through leveraging rentals. And that's like one of the things that really we started leveraging more and more as we went on because the same way that these agents had worked with rentals a lot to grow their business, um, newer agents weren't really kind of catching on because they weren't seeing that side. And that's where like when you yeah, talk about the yeah. challenges, so like for example, in my brokerage, um, we had agents that would come across the need to work with the rental from time to time. And generally speaking, there's two reasons why agents work with rentals. Yeah, you can make a paycheck, um, which is, um, it's not insignificant, but not necessarily significant in some cases when you compare it to- Certainly depends on the contract yeah. and also how much the rent is. Yeah. I mean, $1,000 rentals are not going to pay many bills yeah. if that's all you're doing. Yeah. But if you're doing high-end, Luxury, maybe. Yeah, and even then, like it's um, it's all like um, um, ROI, right? So, how much time are you having to spend on this? And theoretically, rentals should be more simple than a for sale transaction. So, yeah, you're not making nearly as much in most cases as a for sale transaction. But if you're not spending the time on it, 
that you would maybe you can do it in a couple hours then oh if you can come away with a, a you know a thousand or two thousand dollars in commission hey, that can be worthwhile and you can fill in gaps of your income or if you're a newer agent it's a lot easier to kind of kickstart things that way for your business but what's the second reason why people work with rentals is yeah making gaps um, filling gaps of income but then on top of that you do end up meeting so many people and this is really what the key is i think for a lot of those top agents because when you work with a rental most people just think about hey you rent the place out to like one or two people and that's it but when you're doing these rental transactions and if you do showings or even like an open house for your rental or you're meeting these landlords you can mm-hmm. feasibly come into contact with dozens of renters through the course of doing that. And so picture if you're a new agent and you don't know how to get started and you don't know, hey, how you're do I meet people? Where do I find, yeah, where do I find clients? This is actually a super reliable way to build that that database and build that sphere. Um, so that's what we started seeing. And then, but the bottom line was that the brokers that I had seen and the like office managers and everything, they provided no rental tools or guidance whatsoever. It was literally just like everyone left to their so, own. So devices. everything like like tenant screening or I mean, even just like collecting the basic application to even input anywhere, you know, uh, and, and of course, like if you're if you're actually facilitating like. I think there's only certain levels you can go as an agent before you're actually doing like property management, but you can go as far as like collecting earnest money, first rent and, and the signed lease agreement. Yeah. And I think it does kind of like start with marketing and finding applicants and prospective tenants, and then kind of like typically ending around like when the lease is signed and then kind of beyond that, it does maybe start getting more into like management um, responsibilities, et cetera. So this is something that's unique about Rent Spree is not necessarily the the tools, but the fact that you guys have identified real estate agents who are serving and working in the rental space and bringing the tools to better equip real estate agents. There's what like two million agents now yeah, in the give United or States, take, is that what depending it is? on where, yeah, <laughs> give or take a few hundred thousand depending yeah. on the week and renewals, right? Um, <laughs> but you know, if it's springtime, it suddenly, uh, jumps. And by the time we get to December, we'll see a little bit of declines. Right. But so, so th- I think that's really interesting about you guys. Maybe walk me through a little bit. I'm, I was going to get into this a little bit later, but I think now we can just transition to it. Like this has been a very deliberate part of your go-to-market strategy and has led to very significant partnerships that this, and this is why I was actually really excited for this conversation. No one else in the industry seemed to spot. So walk me through, like, how did you recognize the opportunity for the partnerships you've established? Who are those partnerships with? And what has that opened up business-wise for Rentsbury? I think it was just an efficiency play at first because it started with, hey, I'm in this real estate office and I know all these agents in my office. And I would speak to the agents and, hey, we started really conceiving the first Rentsbury product. And ultimately, um, again, it's kind of like that thing where you are... Um, the theme, right, where you are looking at an end result and you're not realizing that what the steps were that like led to that end point. But at the beginning, it wasn't like I really just fell into what Rentsbury is today, but I was driving to all these real estate offices all around LA at first, like sitting in like hours and hours of traffic, like all the way down to Orange County, up to Ventura County, everywhere in between, out to the Inland Empire. But um, that's kind of how it started. And then eventually I, I kind of like started seeing like more patterns among these realtors and agents. And so they all might um, 
they had they all belong to a realtor association, whether it's a local or state level. They all work within an MLS. They might use a transaction tool to handle some of their like transactional elements that need to occur. And so we use that. And for context here, when I was driving around, I did that for a solid year. We probably found like let's say 400 agents to sign up for Rentspree in the in the whole year. But we ended up partnering with some larger organizations like CAR and CRMLS. Yep. And within like one email that they could send out, I, th- I think like we got like a thousand signups from one single email from doing growth that. hacker extraordinaire right here. I mean, you <laughs> so took it, it took from like 400. a year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hey, that's all right. You have to, you know, you, you've got to engineer that hockey stick, right? For startups so that we can. No, I mean, that makes a ton of sense. So, so then you, you built relationships with agents, found a lot of the, the direct challenges, problems. Could you could build a product to those early adopters? And then we're able to win over an MLS who's probably not even, I'm going to, I'm going to guess most MLSs do memberships do not come with any rental tools. No. And that was the case when we stepped in um, and there was a huge gap in the market. And it's just that kind of through line that we see where so many agents are handling rentals, but they're really just left to their own devices, whether it's their brokerage, not providing them with something, their MLS is not equipped for it, their transaction management tool, their CRM tool is not equipped for rentals in really any way, shape or form. So with Rentspur, we ended up, we have a platform, right? You can sign up and use it, but we actually developed an API that you can plug into really virtually any single real estate platform that's out there. And not only is this better to really make this available to agents, but it provides a superior user experience too, because now you're not having to like, let's say like blast people with random ads online. I don't think anyone likes getting like banner ads all over the place and pop-ups and everything about tools, but we actually will really be very deliberate with where Rentspree is placed within let's say an MLS. So for example, agents adding a rental listing into an MLS, well, they can opt in for Rentspree right along the process that they're already following to add their listing. So it's like really like, I think like specific and sniper approach that thinks about the user experience as well. I appreciate this because I mean, this is something we do at Obi in a way, right? We seek out partnerships where it's not just like the right audience, but there's a a very deliberate approach to timing of the offer where, hey, this just really makes sense. Intent is super high. It adds to the experience. So there's no, like you said, like it's not like you logged into your MLS and got a pop-up and says, do you need tenant screening? Like that's not really interesting. I mean, yeah, on the off chance, I might, right? And you'll, you'll get a very low conversion rate and big audience could mean still something significant. But what you're talking about is, I'm in the moment, I I need rental tools clearly because I'm uploading a rental listing into the MLS. I don't have anything else to make this better. And suddenly I'm getting you know an offer to make that better. I mean, it just makes a lot of sense to be able to pull that off. MLSs are not known for being technically savvy or innovating. Um, I think that's no secret in the industry um, given that, I mean, I think like 99% of them, maybe except for Houston, right? Um, don't have like anything consumer facing that's really genuinely like consumer facing. Houston does have a good uh, Houston is the one portal there. Yeah, yeah, Houston's and the they, one. They that that's a that's a hard thing that they did, and it, hey, it really paid off, and they they knew what they were doing. 
how are you overcoming some of the, there's gotta be some objections to like, well, Hey, you know what, Mike, this is a good idea, but we don't have the technical staff or capabilities to do that. How are you overcoming that? Is it just as a matter of as like building out an API that's super simple to work with and clear documentation? What's that look like for you? It's like, it's a great question. So we work with about 45 MLSs now, wow. and we pretty much signed all of those and launched them within the past 18 months or so. So there is something to be said for really streamlining that process. And so it started again, like with learning and understanding first. So I would sit with random people in the industry, folks from CRMLS, folks from Bright MLS, and I wouldn't even say anything. I would just ask them questions and listen and learn. So I think just gaining an understanding and appreciation for the dynamics of the industry is just going to mm -hmm. help right off the bat with especially this industry where, yeah, it's a large industry, but it's it's really pretty small once you like kind of like know, know who all the players are and everyone knows each other. Totally. So really just listening and learning was really important. <clears throat> but ultimately, we um, to make it easy for them and all the MLSs, we um, really um, developed relationships already with the MLS software providers. So we already have like a plug and play with all the major MLS software providers like Matrix, FBS, um, Rapitoni, Dynac Connections, um, and um, and others as well. And so, from that perspective, it makes it really easy to lay the groundwork there. So now, when we get an MLS that wants to implement Rensbury, it's pretty much like that MLS software vendor will just flip a switch, and Rensbury is, boom, it's pretty much deployed. And in some cases, it can take like a week or two to do it. So. It's such a brilliant strategy, and it, it it's one that I think that um, you know is like really hyper targeted to solving pain points in a way that you know makes multiple people win here. I want to kind of shift a little bit and talk about some trends in the industry. Um, a lot has changed in real estate in the last few years. We've seen COVID expedite, if you will, some tech transformations within the industry. You know, obviously, digital signings increasing the the need and want for paying rent online in a secure fashion, all sorts of things. Are there any trends that you're spotting or seeing right now that are serving as tailwinds to rent spree? You know, what might those trends be, and what's the long term effect, both positive and or negative, to the rent spree business? And I, I love I love the progress that this industry has made over the past few years, because I can tell you that when we started having these conversations with folks in 2017, no one cared to talk about rentals at all. And you really had to scratch and claw to get people to listen to you and to pay attention. And Mike, what are you talking about? Interest rates are 3%, everyone's buying. Yeah, right. And so, I mean, there's a lot of kind of, like you said, tailwinds that have factored into that. And I think a lot of it, I like to think hopefully we're also driven by us just trying to shed more light on the actual data that's out there. But I think one of the things that, you know, even you can look at the inventory shortages that we were experiencing, you know, like last year, making it so hard for people to buy a home and getting into these bidding wars. And that's just one example. But now you look at the interest rates that are skyrocketing and um, just many other factors and the fact that um, basically the um, the median income has grown by, let's say, a comparatively small amount in the past 30 years compared to the median price 
of a home. So all these things have really kind of factored in together to just increase the trajectory of rental growth and how much people are renting. And right now, the median age of a first-time home buyer is about 36 years old in the U.S. Wow. And so that means that, hey, like when you- Didn't it used to be like 30 or like even under 30? Yeah. I mean, at a certain time it did, and it's just getting later and later and older and older. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's all the millennials now. And for me, I'm 30. And by the letter of the, by the law of averages, I mean, I should have to wait six more years before, like I should be in the position to purchase my first home and I am still working on it. Hopefully I can get there before six years from now. I'm still renting today, but those are the things that are. (laughs) I have faith in you. You need help finding a place out here in South Dakota and I will hook you up. Yeah, that might be the problem in L.A. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you get one of the really nice mansions out here. That's for sure. So, so there's definitely some of the changes there, people renting later, which is then possibly leading what to a shift of like who is going to serve. I mean, will small investors, mom, pop investors maintain control? Or do you think they're going to give a little bit more of this back to real estate agents to manage you know, the, the flow of renters and and maybe real estate agents will see this as a, a another line of revenue. They go hand in hand in our estimation because, you know, these small investors, I mean, they'll, you know, and what's the most common is, hey, you'll have an investor that will purchase an investment property using an agent. Once the transaction is closed, the investor will turn to their agent and say, hey, you just helped me purchase this income property. Now, can you help me get it rented out? So that's kind of like the, like probably one of the most common things that we see happen out there. But going forward, I think it's really like looking at that renter population and everyone that's going to be buying their first time home in the next couple of years, they're all renting today. And this is totally different than trying to think about other ways that you can develop these relationships with renters. And it comes back to what we talked about earlier, which is developing these contacts and developing your sphere of influence by working with rentals. But everyone that's going to be buying a home in the foreseeable future, they're pretty much renting right now. And so if you're an agent and you want to provide long-term services and value to clients, renting is the time to start with those relationships and to get your foot in the door. And you can start by helping renters with services that they need, giving them insight, giving them guidance, and then ultimately developing a meaningful relationship with them that over time will then position you to help them with that bigger decision of purchasing a home when the time is right. But there's just longer time that's happening now between like how long a renter needs to be renting until they can actually purchase a home. See, if I had to go back and be an agent all over again, which I have like multiple failings in life that will need to occur before that happens. Um, and I mean multiple, but if I had to go back and do it, there's a lot of things I would do similarly. So I had the theory of, I don't really need 50 new customers every year. I could probably have 30 customers and be the same 30 customers every year. And so I went really hard after investors and it's very difficult to break in, but I actually, my last two months as an agent really made a ton of progress and had quite a few listings that were all investor. And so it was proving out to be a, a, a you know viable business track, but I think this idea of you know being that direct resource, you know, um, some of those in, investors, you know, I could be eyes on the ground for the neighborhood, eyes on the ground for the rental property, just driving past it, and as far as like working my sphere of influence, 
you know, keeping an update of like, hey, everything's looking good there. Or uh, do you know that the tenants just built a new fence out of pallets and it doesn't look very good? Uh, and I'm raising my hand because that happened to me, right? And so like there's, there's all kinds of value I could see in like, if I didn't have a property to bring my investor and there was nothing to change, but I could be constantly with them, keep, keep in touch with something to provide there. Uh, and then being the source of bringing renters to them, I, I could see in a year or two building a very solid book of business with a much smaller list of clients, which going back to your point you're talking about return on investment, you know, if I'm not having to constantly build my pipeline because I have a consistent book of the same clients over and over, I'm going to save a dramatic, not just time, but all that money I'd spend on ads and promotion and lead gen. I'm not doing that anymore. I could actually do that to actually help my clients instead or, you know, that sort of thing, um, which it sounds like Rentspree really is building towards that. I want to um, kind of shift here a little bit because going into, again, touching on trends, one of the trends that's been hitting the rental industry, especially in the last few years, pretty hard is new regulations. Regulations around, um, you know, rent registries, tenant screening requirements, what you can and can't say, reports. Seattle, Boston got different requirements than Nashville's got. And it's very difficult to build a scalable tech product that can serve all these markets all at once. So I'm curious to your approach into navigating that to build something that can effectively serve nationwide when we're seeing a trend of regulations vary from state to state and even city to city? Yeah, that's a great question and it is changing rapidly and there's a lot of uh, areas to kind of look out for. And that's why when we've designed Rentspree's platform from the beginning, we've really designed it in such a way that creates adequate flexibility so that really it can kind of shift to accommodate different areas um, and different regulations. So Rentspreed doesn't have like, let's say one track and like a one size fits all. Mm -hmm. It's fairly configurable from that perspective in terms of being able to um, choose which reports you get, um, being able to use certain features or not. It's not gonna really pigeonhole you into you know, certain things. Um, so we do leave um, a considerable amount of flexibility going forward. But one of the things that we're really excited about going forward is to starting to provide, let's say, um, not legal advice to anyone, but um, just a little bit more in the in like terms of just guidance and um, maybe like just direction to where um, these professionals can go to gather resources that may be relevant for their area based on maybe where they're uh, conducting their business that you know we can make maybe tailor that a little bit for them. So that's one of the things that we're looking at because you know that's the thing where also agents get into hot water when they're working with rental transactions because again these aren't necessarily rental professionals. They may be focusing on buying and selling predominantly. They're not property management by trade. So they also may not be right, aware right. of some of the kind of rules and regulations that may be in. I mean, there's a lot just happening as an agent, let alone being able to stay on top of everything that's changing. So you guys coming in as like a, an additional resource of it or educational resource is, 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 a, is a big value add. Yeah, it's hard out there. It's hard out there for them. And yeah, we want to make it easy and just give them like a short path to being able to understand what kind of areas that they should look out for. And again, that's just more so also speaks to some of the lack of resources that are maybe coming from other groups that they may be involved with. But there are also a, a good number of 
Um, there's realtor associations that do a really good job at providing these this type of information as well um, based on local areas. I know like um, Miami Realtors in particular, they are pretty um, on top of some of the rental regulations that you know mm-hmm. their membership may need to be aware of. Um, and there's a handful of other examples out there that do a really good job of also helping to share information and resources with agents who they're not going to really have this on their day to day, but they need to know certain really key pieces of information. Now, oh, very cool. Let's kind of shift a little bit here. Uh, so I know we already talked about the partnerships within MLSs and working with MLSs. And obviously that gets you a very broad distribution to a lot of potential customers. Are there any other uh, tactics or growth strategies that you've seen work really effectively in reaching both the agent, but even also potentially the, the mom and pop, which is, I think it's funny that both those audiences together because they're so very different. One, super easy in theory to find, identifiable on LinkedIn and every other social media platform because they tell everyone they're a real estate agent. And then they got the mom and pop landlord. By and large, does not tell you that they own real estate anywhere on any platform unless it's their full-time job running a fund or a small investment business. So what's, what's some of the other growth tactics that have really worked well for Rentspree? Yeah, I think it harkens back a little bit to maybe some of the areas that we haven't like touched on a, a ton um, on the call just yet, but really like thinking about creating not just a tool that's designed for, let's say, an agent or a landlord, but more so striving to create a little bit of a level playing field that also is inclusive of renters as well. Because don't forget again, you know, I do have like different perspectives in my own personal experience, but I'm also, I think, like pretty um, cognizant of kind of the renter plight. And that's really, you know, from its core, Rentspree was born out of. And so just looking at that, I think like making sure that consumers are served properly is really important and that they also have their experience that's taken into account. And so that being said, one of the things that we also um, provide for consumers, we know that on average, a renter needs to apply to between three to four properties before they get accepted. And this is coming back to your question because it actually helps us to grow. But what we do is we actually allow the renter, they can fill out and apply to one property, and then they can actually submit that to an unlimited number of properties without incurring additional cost or having to refill their information on Rentsbury. And the reason why that this like universal application works is because Rentsbury is not really just like, let's say its own platform, but we are embedded into about 300 different platforms and within all these associations and MLSs. So actually creates quite like a good network, but what we do after a renter applies and if for some reason they're not accepted, they can actually take their application and they can submit it to even an off Rentsbury landlord or agent by just putting the email address of that person. And then for the renter, of course, it's compelling because they don't have to refill their information. They don't have to pay a fee again. They don't have to get a hard credit inquiry. But then that, let's say, second landlord that they applied to, they may not have, never have heard of Rentsbury, but they're like, oh, hey, Mike, just applied to my property. Um, oh, I can just click here and access this renter's full suite of information served up to me on a platter. I can access it at no cost and I can basically have a leg up just to, if this person's good, we can just move forward and, and get this vacancy um, filled up. 
So this is a way that we also leverage um, like that value to renters to also then use them uh, in a certain way by providing value and having them the ability to apply to multiple properties that bring more and more landlords to Rentsbury as well. And we've gotten like thousands of landlords from doing that. Very cool. Uh, and, and that was something actually I did myself in Chicago. Um, when I when I moved to Chicago, uh, a different company, you may have heard of them, called Avail. Uh, <laughs> and, and I did the exact same thing, actually. Uh, I, I reused my application and sent that to an agent. And, you know, the agent was like, oh, cool, I don't have to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> like they were actually like, cool. Well, this works for me. Uh, yeah, you got the place because I had everything ready to roll. I had all the background check. I had the criminal check or, or credit check and all that. And, you know, everything was already detailed, income, proof of income. Everything was ready to roll. And they were like, OK, well, this is this is different, you know. And so then they were like, yeah, that sounds good to me. Let's roll with that. What are some of the um, metrics that you're able to share that demonstrate you know, the, you mentioned, you know, picking up several thousand landlords through this, you know, shareable application. But what are some of the other things? I've, I've seen a few different metrics that describe the growth that you guys have experienced over the last few years, which is quite impressive. Yeah. So over the past three years, Rentsbury has grown by it's um, somewhere north of um, about 11x over the past three years. So very rip roaring growth rate. I can still remember just a couple of years ago when we had, you know, 20, 25, 30 people in the company. And now we're at over 200 and still growing. So it's been um, quite a bit of um, growth from, I think, those perspectives. And we just hit our million user mark a couple months ago as well. Wow. Hey, congrats. Yeah, thank you. And that speaks also to, hey, like we do service those three groups on, on the platform and focused on really beyond providing some of the transactional tools, but focusing on the relationships that we can cultivate between those users as well on Rentsbury. Very cool. That, that's exciting. Um, <clears throat> before we get into the bottom of the show here, probably, in my opinion, one of the most important questions, why is now the right time to be building Rentsbury? So over time, if you look at, and I'm not an economist, I'll, I'll state that out there. <laughs> so don't hold me to any of this. Um, but so I don't know what's going to happen. No one, I'm not going to predict the future at this point. But what I can tell you is looking at the past, um, when you look at growth in uh, renter occupied units in the US, about like somewhere north of 60% of that growth occurred during recessionary periods in the US. And so in the event that we are headed toward um, a recessionary period or maybe already at the beginning of one, um, renting is just going to become more and more prominent. And so this factor, factoring that in with that median age of that first time home buyer, what we would like to ultimately do is, I think, like destigmatize renting within the industry hmm. because a lot of people like hey like uh, what you should be buying a home you need to buy a home um, this is investment for long term um, but it's just not feasible for people and that's has to be okay at a certain point and that has to be acceptable because oftentimes it's not a choice i mean sometimes it is a choice but it's just the reality nowadays and so i think with all those dynamics that come into play with the economy and just the affordability and um, the home prices nowadays and income that people can actually earn and save it's just not very feasible for a lot of people to just graduate from college or move out of their parents' place and just buy a home at the drop of a hat when they're in their early 20s. 
So being able to really like make that something into uh, an acceptable practice and something that's, hey, this is a natural step, it's okay. And this actually can be still not, uh, it can be a little bit more of a pleasant experience to go through all that and to be living with a landlord. And then ultimately you can do things to position yourself to maybe achieve some of those longer term goals that you might have for your real estate journey. But renting is still okay. And it's something that almost every single person needs to um, embrace at one point or another went there in their life for an extended period of time. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I appreciate, you know, you taking that view, obviously the disclaimer, none of this is an investment advice, but, but, uh, you know, I, you know, I think you're not wrong. I mean, the, the growth of rentals seems to be something that, um, if you will, you know, writing is on the wall. We're seeing increased investment into build to rent we're seeing home and that's coming from home builders, you know, traditional home builders, our nation's largest home builders are, are looking to build rents. Um, I know it's still a small percentage of nationwide homes are being purchased by institutional, but we are seeing increased institutional activity and we're not seeing rental supply being replaced, especially in the single family rental and small multifamily rentals. And so then, you know, it kind of leads to believe uh, hey, we, we may be moving more towards uh, rentals for the next few years until somehow we build or find another way out, you know, to open up inventory for new home buyers. Um, and so having a better experience across the board uh, is going to go a long way for those who are working within the industry uh, to differentiate and be able to make that a part of their business. Yeah. And I think that also really kind of like ties into the importance of what you guys are doing over at Obi, And that's also something that's more and more important than ever and like super, super valuable and critical resource to provide to people that may not have like known that they needed that or had ready access to those types of yep. um, tools and protections that they, you know, just weren't probably aware of. So it's yep. more and more important as time goes on. Yeah, totally. Well, hey, Mike, we're going to move into the bottom of the show to a segment I like to call for the future. For the future is when I get to ask each guest who comes on the show to give their best predictions based on the following four questions. Mike, are you ready to play? Yes. All right, let's do this. Question number one, what does rent spree look like one year from now? One year from now, rent spree um, is really um, expanding to cover a lot more like, let's say, post-lease signing um, elements. Um, so really looking at not just handling some of the transactional elements, but handling longer term, uh, I think relationships and tools that people need for the subsequent steps of the real estate journey to put really everyone within all the stakeholders, whether they be renters, landlords, or agents in positions to be successful and to achieve their long-term goals. Very cool. Question number two, here's the one you'll need the crystal ball for. Will the number of, <laughs> it's funny that we talked about this at the top of the show too. Will the number of real estate agents increase or decrease over the next two years? Why? Um, I, <laughs> um, I, I think it'll probably have a little bit of a dip um, in, you know, probably like coming into 2020, uh, 2023 here. But I think overall, it'll still kind of uh, continue to grow um, like longer term on an upward trend. little bit of a regression to the mean yeah. before we establish a new bottom, if you will. Question number three, what's one industry trend you think will continue, but you wish would go away? That's a really good question. I I would say that, yeah, really just um, 
having some of like these decision the decision makers out there to start really just taking rentals seriously and understanding the place that they play within the housing ecosystem. All right. Last one here. What's one thing you believe will dramatically change or fade away in real estate as a result of tech advances? I do think that one of the things that is really critical, just in particular, when you talk about the long tail, small mom and pop landlords is, um, the way that payments are being handled right now for rent. Because when we've done research on this, I was shocked to find that still the vast majority of just any landlords that we've spoken to and um, questioned and polled, they were still using peer-to-peer payment platforms to collect rent or like paper check. And that's what my landlord still does today. I still have to write a paper check for my landlord. And I think that it's like the similar coming back to the fax machine that I had to find for um, my process when I had to get qualified for my landlord. But just kind of coming to see that flowing through with payments now where these things are becoming more and more widespread and available for landlords. And it's not groundbreaking technology, but it's more of just an availability thing and making that putting that into the hands of the people that need it at the time when they need it. Yeah, very cool. All right, last ones here, Mike. The last three questions are about you, so our listeners get to know you just a bit better. First one here is, what are you reading? Um, yeah, we're reading No Rules Rules, um, which is um, the Netflix. Yeah, that one's pretty good to talk a little bit about um, kind of like how they built that up and um, some of the things that uh, help them to kind of continue to um, innovate him among the industry um, for like, you know, media and everything like that, going from those DVDs to now like massive streaming streaming platform. <laughs> this will book be an interesting book to see how it holds up over the next five years. And if Netflix uh, changes the, the little bit of the tune that some feel towards the company at the moment. Content's a tough business. It's a tough business that, you know, they've done a lot of it really well, though. Yeah, and I think a lot of it, too, is just like the culture that they had established within the company that, I mean, it, it's mm. something that you could, it didn't really matter what your company was doing. It's, I think it's really just encouraging, like, feedback and gathering information, empowering your team members, making sure that um, really everyone's rowing in the same direction. So there's some really good tidbits in that one, for sure. Yeah. Question number two, who are you learning from? Who am I learning from? I am really privileged now because I get the opportunity to learn from a lot of the team members and um, in particular, the leaders here at Rensbury. So we've, I think, been fortunate to bring on a ton of people that know a heck of a lot more than I do about a heck of a lot of things. And so being able to um, really like see them thrive and then um, have them elevate the entire company um, and do a much better job than I would do for a lot of those um, responsibilities, projects, and tasks is, is huge. Yeah. One of the pieces of advice I had a friend give me years ago was hire people who make you uncomfortable to a degree where they're so good at what they do that you're concerned, like, am I needed? Especially as in a, in a leadership role, like that's the most phenomenal news I could ever hear. I am no longer needed to mess this thing up. 
I just found someone else who's going to make it great. You know, that's 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 definitely one of the things. But it's I think yeah. it's a struggle. I'm, too. I'm working on that. Yeah, it's it's a, <laughs> yeah. it's a weird thing. It's like, oh, is this person too good? I can't bring them in. But then you realize, like, no, that's the right move. I am just the wrong person right now. Anyway, all right, last one here for you, Mike. What inspires you? What inspires me is the the team that we have at Rensbury as well. Kind of going back to that because every time that I see our team has grown and. When we do, let's say, all hands meetings, really like looking at the people that trust in Rensbury. And um, at the beginning with Rensbury, it used to be just a handful of people, right? It's a smaller environment and it's really like mostly on the founder's shoulders to carry through and make sure that things work out and that they are all successful. But now it's been really awesome to see. Um, we, we really try to create transparency within the company and let people know like what they're doing, why they're doing it, how that's contributing to the company, and then giving them the power to make decisions that can improve things around here. So just seeing so many people trusting in Rensbury, believing in what we're doing, um, and that that's that's truly inspiring. The more and more people that we we have here, uh, I can I can see so many huge uh, potential among all of them. It's very cool, Mike. Thank you so much for your time sharing all about Rensbury, getting into some of the trends, a little bit of uh, forecasting or predictions uh, in an ever-changing and unpredictable market as much as it is. It is. Um, you know, I really enjoyed this conversation. Before we close out, for those who either want to get connected to you and or learn more about Rensbury, where do they go and how do they do that? Yeah, you, you can find us at rensbury.com. Or else, um, definitely you can. Um, I'm pretty active in general on LinkedIn, so feel free to find me on there. Follow us on LinkedIn as well, or check out our social media profiles. It's pretty much at Rensbury across the board on LinkedIn, um, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the like. Very cool. I'm sure we are going to our paths will cross again soon enough. Uh, and uh, but until then, you know, we'll see you later. Have a good one. Well, thanks for listening to the Tech Nest podcast. You can always get future episodes delivered to you directly by subscribing to the podcast in your favorite app store. You can also join the newsletter. Head over to technest.io or finledger.com slash newsletters to get all future episodes, updates, and more sent to you right in your inbox. Last but not least, we appreciate your support. Please go ahead and give us a rating and review in your app store. This helps others discover the podcast and know that it's a great worthy listen. We'll see you next week.